Welcome back to another episode of the Project Mormon Podcast with me, Connor Warman. My guest today is Mark Wilburn. Mark is a member of Custer Roots, a friend of mine, and someone that I've gotten to know a lot better during his time here at Crosser Roots. Mark is currently at CU for a bachelor's degree in aerospace engineering with a minor in applied math and a certificate in engineering leadership. He really enjoys engineering and analytical thinking and also working with people, so he's looking into careers that combine the two. Mark would love to be a systems engineer or project manager or anything that takes more of a global approach to tough problems working in the field of engineering. At school, he's a student ambassador, which is where he found his passion for people. Mark got into CrossFit through the influence of his parents and being connected to Kevin Ogar while he was in spinal cord rehab in Denver. His dad started CrossFit in Afghanistan when Mark was in middle school, and both of his parents have been doing it since. Mark used to always make fun of CrossFit, as a lot of us naturally did before we got into it, and he was always more into endurance sports, but Kevin showed him early on how CrossFit and all it has to offer for his injury, and he enjoyed how he didn't have to think and just show up each day and know that the coaches would make him better. Athletically, Mark would like to return to endurance sports later on once he gets enough strength and settles into more of a home. I had a lot of fun and really enjoyed this conversation today. Mark is someone who I've gotten to know better during his, his time at Crossroads. Roots. And during this conversation, we talked about a wide range of topics, including the tunnels underneath Las Vegas, Elon Musk and aerospace engineering, Mark's dive into cross-country, track, and field, and endurance sports during high school, his accident, and how that inevitably led him into CrossFit. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope that you all enjoy it as much as I did. And now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. What's up, Mark? How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. Dude, this is funny. This is like 22 Jump Street coming in here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When it I pulled be. up on the campus, it was so funny. Like, I was like, I'm going to, like, a dorm right now. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So, it was a blast from the past for you. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's weird. It, like, it just seems so far away. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Every year, it gets further and further away. How old are you? I don't even know. 26. Okay. So, it's not too far. How old do you think I am? <laughs> I was going to say, like, 28. So okay. All right. Okay. That's not terrible. But then yeah. you're too close to 30 at that point. Yeah, that's true. Were you scared or something? No, <laughs> no I don't think so. It's just weird because you go your whole life like being in school, yeah, and like being young, and then all of a sudden you're like out of school and you're like not a young kid anymore. Yeah, you've never been old before. No, there's like that like adaption period where like I'm kind of an adult now. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Thirty's gonna be weird. Yeah. What do you think about it? Aging. Uh, I mean, I hope I make it. <laughs> <laughs> See how far I go, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it'd be fun to be a little older, but <laughs> have a life. But yeah. I mean, I'm kind of done with like college for sure. I mean, I'm ready to like I appreciate it, you know. Like yeah, I, yeah. I'm glad I'm here, but um, yeah, I I'm excited to like go into the future. So. Yeah, how long have you but, been in school for? Uh, four years. I have one more year. Aerospace engineering. Mm -hmm. All right. Before yeah. we get into that, you lived in Vegas for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. We got to talk about the tunnels under Vegas. Okay. What do you know about them? Yeah, you, you told me before 
Um, I didn't really know what you're talking about, but like the, it's just like, I mean, it's kind of like the LA river where, you know what that is? No. It's just like a concrete valley basically. It just runs through the city. So like Vegas can't handle rain at all because it's just a rock and it's a valley. But it also doesn't rain, right? Right. But when it does, like it's a problem. Okay. It rains maybe like one month and like when it, we actually, when we first moved to Vegas, maybe like the second day we were there, it rained like an inch, right? And the entire city flooded. Um, like we were down at the strip and the plumbing like broke because it just can't handle like an inch of rain. So like we were in a mall and there was like water coming out of the walls. Yeah. <laughs> like it just can't handle rain at all. Um, so like those tunnels are kind of a way to like try to stop flooding. So it just, all the rain just goes to these tunnels and that'll go to Lake Mead. But um, like you were saying, there's a camp in the tunnels, and like I there's guess there's like so. people who there's like secret societies that live there. Yeah, I only I only just know of like the homeless people that live down there, and then whenever it rains, they, you know, they got a problem. But there's a lot of deaths in the tunnels. But I mean, they're not really like tunnels. It's just like plumbing, basically, that's like, exposed. The question is, would you go in there? Um, like we'd be on a run or something, and you see like a tunnel, and you run through it because it's fun to run through a tunnel but like you're not supposed to be there but yeah (laughs) yeah i don't know it sounds scary (laughs) it's a little i mean i mean there's no one in there when we were there but it's like a bunch of like like you said like homeless people but like people on meth and stuff just like i I would assume so yeah it's kind of crazy (laughs) i don't know i'm picturing like batman like in batman returns when bane comes in and it's just like this anarchy that's what I'm kind of picturing. It's not. Being like, it's not anything like that oh. that I know of. Like, it's just homeless people need a place to live, so they find these tunnels. Yeah, and that's that's all I see. You, you should look into it. There's like a I rank guess. and order. Like, if you're new, you have to stand at the gate or the in- entrance to like warn everybody if it starts raining. Hmm. And they also like let you in or out. I feel like they can tell if it's raining. Like, just <laughs> they just be... look outside and it's raining. But you can't see out of the tunnels, right? Because they're underground. They're not like underground. Okay, I gotta like, go and see these now. They're just they're just out, and then sometimes they go underground. Huh. But they're mainly just like we have parks in Vegas that are just like huge bowls. Yeah. And they're meant to just be like flood protection. You're, like, ca- you're kind of ruining this for me. I, <laughs> I mean, you can believe what you want, but like I've never seen it. <laughs> So. Okay, because the article we were reading was like made it sound pretty scary. I mean, go check it out, but I have never seen it. So, how, how did like a place like Vegas even get there? Like, who decided we want to make this place in the middle of the desert? It was just like during the gold rush, everyone everyone was moving out west. It was just a gambling spot, like that's where you gambled basically. Like you would stop there on your way over to California or something, or Nevada. Like there's a lot of mining there. But it was just like a gambling town. Um, and it just, you know, exploded from there. So, but it's it's, it's weird because it's like the most resource-hungry city in the world. And it's in the like most resource, you know, there's nothing there in Vegas. Yeah. So it's like, they require so much power and energy, but there's nothing there to support it. So it's it's really odd. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of it. Because, you know, like you're not supposed to live in a desert. Yeah. But... You know, there's not much to do there. Yeah. So, surprisingly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like going to the strip? I mean, it's an experience. So you have to go. It's kind of like going downtown in any city, but 
a little more like party esque. I mean, now that we have sports teams there, that's another reason to go down there. But people really just go down there for like the Golden Knights or the Raiders, or that's pretty much it for like locals. What's the Golden Knights? The hockey team. Oh yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Or like occasionally a restaurant or a show, but or my parents have done like staycations there where they just like you know rent out a room, stay at the pool for a weekend, but. You know, it's you have to go, but it's it's not something you go to all the time. They might be getting a baseball team. We are actually. Lays. Like, yeah. Is that for sure though? I think so. Like they're building a stadium. Like they demoed a casino. Oh really? To for build it? a stadium. Yeah. Yeah. It's what? like a cross. It's near. I think it's like by Allegiant Stadium, but just on like the other side of the strip. Gotcha. So, yeah. It looks cool. But yeah. Is there like a fan base there? Do people actually live there? I guess you live there. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, people ask all the time, but like the strip is maybe ten percent of the entire city. And then, like, if you ever fly in, like, if you've been like flying yeah, to Vegas, one time, like you just see the strip, and then it's just suburbs all around it. Yeah, like it's it's yeah, it's just, it's a very normal town to be honest. Um, it's just like fueled by the gambling industry, but like it's very normal to live there. Um. Yeah, there's there is a lot of people there. Probably, I think it's like a couple million. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, there's a lot of people. Um, with the sports, like everyone loves the Golden Knights because they like started in Vegas. Um, the Raiders are they're fine, like they're whatever. Yeah. Um, because that's kind of like another city's thing. But yeah, there's definitely. <laughs> I don't know if there's like great culture there, but <laughs> there's something. You know, it's yeah. it's just so hot. Yeah. That's why I don't like it. Like, I flew in at, like, 10 o'clock at night, and I got out, and it was 100 degrees. Yeah. I was like, this uh, is when did you fly in? Like, in August or something? It would have been, like, I think June yeah. or something. Yeah. It was terrible. Yeah. It's not fun. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, it's, like, cool to go for a day. If you're going to go to Vegas, like, a day. Just do Vegas as hard as you can mm-hmm. and leave. Yeah. I don't know how people stay there for, like, a week on the strip. No, no, no. I think three days is the max if you're going to do the strip. Yeah. After that, you get depressed. Like, it's just sad. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? It's not a lot of fulfillment on the strip, so you just start to get sad. But If there were, like, three things you would tell somebody to do if they went there, what would they be? Um, I mean, as a local, it's like, if you've never been to the strip, just walk through it. Um, like, take a day or half a day and just, just, like, walk through the casinos just to see all of them. Um and then I would go to like Red Rock Canyon, which is like our state park. Um, that's just a really cool place. Um, and then I guess like Lake Mead and the Hoover Dam or something. But yeah, <laughs> like yeah, because I'm more into like the nature part of Vegas. But if you've never been to the strip, you have to go. You know? Yeah, you have to see it at least once. Yeah. So you didn't? You weren't born there? No, no, I was born in England. You're born in England? Yeah. So your dad was in the military, right? Yeah. So you guys traveled around a lot? Yeah. Yeah, they can move like nine times. Okay, so you were born in England because he was stationed there? Yeah. Okay, how yeah. long did you spend there? I I don't know. I think it was like around two years. Like every time it's around like one or two years. So I think it was about two. And but then where, that, yeah. where'd you go from there? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember all the moves. I remember all the places we lived just not in order and we moved like back and forth between a couple so it was like florida alabama california vegas um in dc and then england so 
What was your favorite one? Probably DC. Why is that? It's a really cool place. Like we lived in Arlington, um, and we basically like lived in the woods, kind of. Okay. Um, so it was fun as a kid because I like I was like in middle school, and our backyard was just like woods. So my brother and I would just go out there and like build forts and just like mess around the woods. It was super fun. Um, but yeah, you could like ride your bike to the mall. Um, it's just a really cool place. I really like the East Coast. Um, just like the stress of it, like the pressure cooker aspect of the East Coast. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think it's definitely. Did you like like actual DC, <clears throat> like where all the historical stuff is, or does that yeah. interest you? Yeah, I mean, when you go to school there, like every history class you take is just some form of American history because like you're living in it. So, yeah, yeah. but I do like it. I like all that like early American history stuff. It's really cool. And like our house was next to the spot where like Hamilton had his duel and died. Like mm-hmm. it was right there. So like you're living in history all the time basically. So it is pretty interesting. So you like American history? Yeah. Like what parts of it? Um, I guess all the stuff I learned in school, like all the early stuff, you know? Like the like, revolution? Yeah. Yeah. Threw on. <laughs> but I think my dad said he can like trace our family back to like the Mayflower. So, oh, really? Yeah. Like cool. his family grew up in like Southern Virginia um, since the start. So it's, yeah. it's interesting. But, yeah. 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 The American Revolution is pretty interesting. Like the whole thing and then just diving into it's really interesting. You're, you're, you're one of those bros that, that likes history yeah. and, war, and wars and yeah. Well, you read history books and stuff like that. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. <laughs> Why do you say that? just a very like bro thing to be into like wars and yeah. American history and yeah. all that stuff. So yeah. Well, I'm interested in like the dynamic <laughs> of like the founding fathers of the country and uh-huh. how like interesting that was. Cause they were all different and like different ages and different people. And like how, like it's just crazy how they, how we came together and did that. It is very interesting. Yeah. Like would that ever happen again? I don't think so. <laughs> We'll see if anyone starts a country again. <laughs> if anyone starts like, a country. Maybe yeah. not on this planet. Maybe. We'll see. But it was cool. Like, I don't know. You had these guys who literally signed their life away for the sake of starting a country. Mm-hmm. Like, they would have been killed for sure if we didn't win the war. Mm-hmm. But they were like, I don't care. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's, it's very like true. Very few people have anything like that they'd be willing to die for. Uh-huh. Yeah. Have you been to Philadelphia then? No. You should go then. I've only heard bad things about Philadelphia. No, it, I like it. Philly's cool. It is yeah. cool. Um, and, like, you can see Independence Hall and stuff. Okay. Like, you can see where Declaration was signed. Yeah. Um, you can, like, see the Liberty Bell and all that stuff. It's, it's like, where the country started. So, you should go. What do you think those people would think now if they came back today? Um, I don't know. I, they, I feel like they saw it coming what's you know? happening now yeah you know like like george washington's like farewell when he was like hey don't start alliances like don't do don't do political parties all these things like i and we did all of the things that he said basically not to do so yeah. i don't know if they'd be shocked they might just be like disappointed like a, a father or something yeah you know? like not mad just disappointed so that's I guess. <laughs> so so for someone who's into history do you think we're headed towards another revolution what, like America? Yeah. No. Like a civil war? No. Why? <laughs> it's like, I don't think that's actually going to happen. 
Like, do you think it could? No. Huh. We're no, like we're so established now. Like, I don't think the, the people like to hype up like how much people hate each other, but I don't think anyone's actually gonna do anything about it. There's not yeah. enough people that hate one people to like separate. You know? Yeah. It's not like that. It's so weird, like the difference between what you see on the news and what you experience every day. It's like night and day. Like if you just yeah. watch the news, you would think everybody hates each other. But if you walk out into the world, you realize that's very much not the case. Mm-hmm. Which you is don't, interesting. You don't dynamic. watch it. Yeah. You don't watch that. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's really no reason to. Yeah, it's like you just keep it with the headlines. But like, it's like nobody's telling the truth. Yeah. Everybody just, has an agenda. It's just entertainment. It's yeah. literally just entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, history's cool. It's cool to see where we came <laughs> from and where we're going. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. What, so if, while we're on this topic, uh-huh. do you think this country's hit its peak? Um, I don't know. I don't even really know what that would look like. Like, does China scare you? Oh, that whole thing? Um, that whole thing. That little thing that's... <laughs> Like, like China taking over? Um, yeah, yeah. That could happen, for sure. Like, um, I don't know. I I think I'm, I'm biased, but I I do think like we're still technologically ahead. But I think there is like something coming. You know, like I think they're definitely catching up, and they'd have things better than us. So it could definitely happen. But I don't think like. I mean, maybe in 20 years or so, but not like tomorrow. It feels like if we ever got in a real conflict, it would just be the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think that helps, <laughs> you know, like there can't, there can't be another real world war. Yeah. Cause it would just end the world basically. Like you nuclear know. weapons, just wipe it out. Yeah. Like, it, it wouldn't be anything like World War II again. Cause we'd like, war is definitely a lot more different now. Yeah. Just so. mass destruction mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah, and just like silent fear. Yeah. Yeah. So, growing up, you lived in a lot of places. You said Washington, D.C. was your favorite. Mm-hmm. What sports and what kind of things like that did you get into? Yeah. So, my mom always had a rule that um, she didn't care what we did, but we just had to do something every season, and then we got the summer off. So, like, in, for like the fall, winter, and spring sports, we just had to do one thing. Um, every season. So in the fall, I did football. In the winter, I did basketball. And in the spring, I did baseball. Um, and yeah, and then the summer's off. And that was like that was like elementary school. Um, what was your favorite of those three? That's tough. Because like <laughs> all of them have their advantages and disadvantages, for sure. Like I would dread football season every single year. Like because it just sucks. <laughs> like, it yeah, just yeah. does. Like, yeah. it's really hard. Um, it's just really uncomfortable. But, like, that's kind of the point. Um, it was, it's so much work to go and play one game a week. Yeah. Especially once you got into, like, high school and stuff. Yeah, and the whole culture of it is just, like, brutal, you know? Like, it's a simulated war, basically. <laughs> um, like, a game war. So, like, it's really tough. Um but it definitely like taught me a lot. So, you know, like I dread it, but it formed a lot of things for me. And then basketball, basketball is fun, but like I'm white, so I'm not really great at it. I was never like, <laughs> cause you're white. I'm never, like, I was never like super great at it. And like, 
my family genetics don't lead to basketball. Like my brother was, my brother's six seven and he can't dunk. Like, He's six seven. Yeah, he can't he, dunk. No. How? Because he can't jump. <laughs> He's just, he's not super athletic. Like, he's just very gangly. Like, he's, he's a white. legitimately 6'7". Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And, like, he played like wide receiver and quarterback in football, but he was never, like, really great. Hmm. Yeah. Just yeah. not that type of athletic. Um, so, like, basketball is fun, but, you know, wasn't super great at it. Yeah. And then baseball is, is also one of those just, like, fun sports, but you get to a point where you just can't do it anymore. Like, you have to be doing it 24-7 mm-hmm. to play it, basically. So, like, when I got to middle school, I'd, I remember, like, tried out, and I didn't even get to the B team. I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm – I don't think baseball's for me. So, um, yeah. if, I, if I had to pick one, probably football because it, like, taught me most. But. It's like baseball and hockey are, like, the two where you kind of, like – it's. Find a point and just commit your life to it. Yeah. You have to do it year round. Year round. Yeah. Like football, if you're just a good athlete, you can go play football. Basketball is kind of similar. Yeah. Because like there's dedicated off seasons. Yeah. You know, so you don't like you play it in the fall and then you are off and you just do like off season work. So Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, you don't have to like dedicate your life to it, but yeah. Baseball. Baseball is the best sport, I think. You play baseball? Yeah. You, you look like it. So. Baseball and football. Baseball football? Yeah. yeah. Where, did you, where were you in football? What I played defense. I played cornerback and safety. Really? Yeah. Why? They don't seem tall enough to play. Tall. Those guys aren't like tall usually. Yeah, they are. A cornerback? Yeah. They're pretty tall. Sometimes they're like six foot. Five, no, ten. they're way taller. No, you look it up. Because you have to have like wingspan. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to. I hope so. But, like, if you go up against a 6'5 receiver, it's kind of a disadvantage. Exactly. Or your brother, but he can't jump, so that wouldn't be that hard. Yeah. He w- yeah, I didn't catch a lot. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's so funny that he can't dunk. Yeah, he can't. If you're 6'7", like, you don't even have to go that high. Yeah, not at all. That's really funny. It would be, like, a foot. He can't, he can't do it. Yeah, that's wild. Never been able to. <laughs> so once you got done with those three sports, what would you do next? Uh, yeah, so like in middle school, um, oh, that was all. That was all elementary school. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, so like I I played all those sports for probably about six or seven years, and then I played football into middle school. Um, I stopped basketball and baseball when I got to middle school because that's when it was like teams you have to be you actually have to be good, um, and then once I got to high school, for for football, I was just not big enough anymore. Like, mm. could not could not do it, be a football player. Um, but in middle school, I was a part of like this competitive PE class. So like, and you had to do two sports every year basically to stay in it. So like, when I didn't make the baseball team, I was like, well, I got to do something. Um, and my brother did track. I basically just followed my brother in every sport that he did. Like, mm. he did football, so I did it. He did all the sports, so I just did that basically. Um, so he did track and I was like, okay, I guess I'll just do that. Um, and yeah, so that's when I started running. And then in high school, I definitely got more into that. I like the whole endurance sports. Like thing. track or cross country or both? Both. Yeah. Okay. What were your events? Um, so I was like in cross country. So in, in track, it was like the mile and two mile. Okay. Um, and I was even like too slow for the mile. Like, because the mile, it just, it turns into like a sprint. 
basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I had like a, a 440 mile, but that's not good enough. You know? Like, yeah. It's not sprinting. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was definitely better in cross country because like, I'm. What were the top guys running the mile in? Like, I mean, now they break four in high school. <sighs> that's crazy. Yeah. Um, but the, I think the fastest I saw was like four or five or something. Wow. So, yeah. That's really fast. Yeah, they're moving. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a 61, 400, four times in a row. So, yeah, it's pretty wild. But then, so you said you were better across country, and that's two and a half miles, or what was that, two? Uh, it was a 5K. Oh. Yeah. Okay. 5K and three mile. Gotcha. Yeah. So which one did you do? Uh, you would do them. They would, like, some meets would be three miles, and some meets would be 5Ks. What so. were you better at? They're pretty much the same, to be honest. Um, but, like, my PR was in the three mile. So what was that? It was, it was, it was 15.45. That's pretty fast. Yeah. That <laughs> is a five something mile. 5.15. 5.15 mile. Yeah. For three miles. Mm-hmm. So you're like sprinting the whole time. Yeah. It feels, it looks like it. You are basically like, yeah. The, I mean, until you get to like a marathon, all those events are sprints. Yeah. It's it's pretty crazy. <laughs> Even then, when you see the best people like the Boston Marathon, it looks like they're sprinting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's like crazy. Like Eli Kipchoge, who like broke two hours in the marathon, he ran my mile PR. That was his pace. Four forty. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. For twenty six point two miles. Yeah. It's wild. <laughs> Is he from Kenya. Yes. What makes yeah. Kenyans so good at running? Um. I, you know, like the blue zones, like those areas where people live to be like a hundred basically. Okay, no. So I think it's kind of like that where it's just, it's situational. Like they grew up in Africa, so they don't like, they didn't really have shoes. So they're walking barefoot everywhere. They're running barefoot everywhere. And that's kind of like, it's the most efficient way to run like biomechanically is like on your toes, you know? Yeah. Um, but most people can't do that because you grew up in shoes. Mm-hmm. So people try to run on their toes and things like that, but you really shouldn't cause you're like going against your biomechanics, but like they, they just walk everywhere. They run everywhere. And just their genetics are very tall, lean, lanky that like you want a lot of surface area basically on your skin to help cool you off. Hmm. So they're very tall and skinny. So they don't have a lot of weight to move around, but they also have a lot of surface area to just like cool mm. off mm-hmm. themselves. And they have like no fast switch most of fibers whatsoever. It's all slow t- twitch. So mm. they're just extreme endurance. Um, so it's just like that area of the world just suits them best. And it's like this one tribe in Kenya that just breeds the best. Dominates. The best. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Cause don't, don't like shoes mess up your feet over time. Like scrunch your toes together. Aren't they supposed to be spread apart like a hand? I don't know about that. Like the toe shoe people. Like, he, keeps, he keeps saying everything I say is wrong. Well, it's like <laughs> it's like those people that wear toe shoes. You know, they're like, yeah. you got to be natural and like spread your toes or whatever. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, like sure. Toe spacers. Yeah, it's like, sure. It's, it is the best way to run. But my opinion with running was always like, don't force your body to do anything that it doesn't want to do. Mm-hmm. So like there's ways to work on your form, but don't drastically change everything. Just like, gotcha. Just go faster. Yeah. And like, like do the basic form things, but, <laughs> but don't change your stride. Don't do something that's against your biomechanics mm-hmm. basically. Cause it, 
because you have the most efficient way to move your body. Mm-hmm. So play off of that, basically. Huh. That that was my opinion. Yeah. With all that, because yeah, people were always like, run on your toes, run barefoot, and all this stuff. It's like you're, that's too much effort, and huh. it's not really gonna help you that much. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, someone once told me you should be able, like your feet should be able to move like your hands, like you should be able to use them like you. Like an have. orangutan or something. Yeah, like I like one time someone told me to try to open a banana with my feet. But like what? <laughs> There's no advantage to that other than the fact you can pit stuff up with your feet. Like that's it. Yeah. You don't need to be able to do that, you know. Like, it doesn't really help you that much. It's just like, oh, you're really good picking stuff up with your feet. That's awesome. But it's not going to change your life. You can do that. I probably spent two hours trying to peel a banana with my feet one day. (laughs) You're you're buying too much into all the propaganda and everything. (laughs) To everything? Yeah, just just believe your own stuff. (laughs) It was funny. You don't need to peel a banana with your feet. You're it was fine. Like, it was like 12 ruined bananas and no luck. That's that's, that's too much money and too much effort. Too much. That's a lot of bananas. I just, 12? Thought, it, like, I just thought it was going to be cool. Like you've had to buy like two bunches to get to 12. That's, that's a yeah. lot. I couldn't even eat them after because they were just smushed <laughs> and destroyed. I tried to eat the other half. The other half? So you bought 24 bananas? No, 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 no. Okay. Like the other half of the banana that wasn't oh, okay. smushed from my feet trying to open them. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of a cool party trick, you know? I get I guess it, yeah. If people want to look at your feet. Yeah. <laughs> or not. Yeah. <laughs> I guess not. But like, so the Kenya thing, is it kind of like the, like the Chinese thing where you kind of like, when people are born, you kind of just set them on a path. Like you're gonna yeah. be a, you're gonna be a lifter. You're gonna be this. You're gonna be that. Like yeah, like and in it's China, just everyone. That's a big thing. Yeah, yeah. It's just everyone there. Like it's just their genetics and it's their way of life, kind of. And you know now that all these Kenyans have been Olympians, like now there's just a culture of running there. So people grew up idolizing runners. So they want to be like their heroes. You know. So. And they run at some sort of elevation, right? I think yeah, Kenya's at like where they're at is elevation. So. They're turning at altitude, and it's probably hot, too. So it's just, yeah, it's just ideal. Now, does that actually help, training at elevation and going to sea level? Or is that another myth that you're going to disprove? No, that, I mean, that's <laughs> that's real. <laughs> like, I think it's funny. Like, now I've lived here in Colorado for a couple of years. I'm just like, like, altitude's not real. You know, like, yeah, when people yeah. come and visit, and they're like, oh, I can't work out because of altitude. I'm like, that's, you know. <laughs> that's not true I tell just, people the same thing yeah I think it's a local thing where you just I think we're just been in it for so long that we just refuse to believe that it's actually yeah. real um, but I mean it is a thing like there's less oxygen yeah. here but so. it's you know it's it's almost like the thing where it's like if you come to Colorado thinking that and def- letting that define you like of course it's going to affect you probably more than it is like if you show up here and you're like i can't work out because the altitude like you're going to go into a workout and be like oh this is this is so hard i can't do it that's very true like yeah it's so easy to make it much bigger in your head than what it really is Absolutely. like does it affect you yeah but does it affect you as much as you're putting out probably not yeah like every time my parents come up here and they work out they're like oh the altitude but like they live at three thousand feet mm. in vegas so they're only going up like two thousand feet it's not Mm-hmm. that big of a difference so yeah it's definitely i think it is definitely like it's a thing but yeah i think you're right it's just like mentally you don't think about it, you're probably fine yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so you ran track you ran cross country through high school didn't you get into biking or something after that yeah so i think it was after my sophomore year of high school we would have like summer 
cross country workouts. Um, but because it's so hot, we would have them at like six in the morning, basically, um, just to beat the heat. Um, so I would go and then I just got to this point where I was like, I'm kind of bored of just running. Like I kind of need more. Um, so after the summer practice, I would just go to like our local gym and just start swimming. And in my head, I was like, Oh, I'm training to be a lifeguard, you know, like that's a very popular job. And like, you need to be able to swim, I don't know, a mile or whatever. That's what you wanted to do. I think that's what I told myself. Okay. But in the back of my head, I, I did want to start doing triathlons. Um, I just didn't think I realized it yet. Okay. Um, so, but I didn't really know how to swim. Like I could like doggy paddle, you know, but Mm -hmm. like survive, but I didn't really know how to really swim. So I just like looked up on YouTube, like how to, how to freestyle, like how to swim basically. (laughs) Um, and then I would just go every day and I was terrible for so long. Like I couldn't swim the length of a pool for the longest time. Yeah. Cause I was just like drowning basically. Um, but I just went every day. I'm like, I'm going to figure this out. Like, I'm just going to figure it out. Yeah. Um, and eventually I did. And then like the day I was able to like swim a mile, I was like, all right, I think I got it down. And then that's when I like started biking. Cause I was like, all right, I want to like actually do triathlons and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I was like, if I can swim a mile, I can do any distance basically. Like I can build from there. So yeah. That's kind of so that you still taught yourself everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, I did. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I did. <laughs> yeah. Like, so you didn't really know how to swim or you did, but you did like you, you could float, but you couldn't swim. Basically. Right. Yeah. Like I, I, I would go to the gym with my brother, like in middle school or whatever. And he was like, let's go swim in the pool. And I like could not like he could mm. swim. And then I would like get halfway and I was like, I don't know how to do this at all. Um, yeah. So people always say like in triathlons, they're like, I don't know how to swim. It's like, well, just figure it out, man. Like, you can teach yourself how to do it. So, like, it's not. You know what you should do? You should walk into Roots and you should tell Amy that. Really? Yeah. Because she she says that she she has a very hard time swimming. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, but the thing is, it's like you have to want to do it. You know? Yeah. yeah. If you don't want to do it, you're not going to do it. Yeah. But if if you really want to do it, then you can figure it out. You don't need a coach. You don't need to like. You can look it up, basically. <laughs> Figure it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so before we go any further, as you were growing up, what did you want to do when you got older? Did you have like one burning passion or desire? Um, I I knew I wanted to to be an engineer, and like from a young age. Yeah, like probably since like sixth grade or so. Um. Yeah, and I knew I wanted to be like do something athletically like not be a professional but be like a very you know successful amateur in like endurance sport so um that was kind of my two goals was like i wanted to be an engineer and i wanted to like do endurance sports so what uh what branch of the military was your dad in uh air force did you ever have any desire to do anything like that no like it's (laughs) it's funny like you know like the centrifuge where they practice pulling like nine g's Mm -hmm. you know I remember he, one day he brought home a video of him doing it and it was the run where he did nine G's for, I don't know, like a minute or so. Yeah. And I watched his face just like melt and turn purple and he was just like trying to stay alive. And I saw that video at a young age. I'm like, I don't want to be a fighter pilot. <laughs> like, <laughs> if this is what you have to do, yeah. I don't want to do it. And I also get very motion sick and I saw him like 
spinning around. I'm like, you know what? I'm good. And then, um, I have, and then on another occasion, like unrelated, but we went to the eye doctor and they told me I was colorblind and like, you can't be a fighter pilot if you're colorblind. So I was like, perfect. I was like, that works out then. You're like, colorblind? Yeah. Yeah. Like partially, but yeah, you can't be a fighter pilot if you're colorblind. So, huh. yeah. so do, you, do you know what color of shirt I'm wearing? Yeah. Like it's pink. Oh, but do you know it, what color my hat is? It's like teal. Yeah. But okay. when it when it comes to like, like I can see red is red and green is green. Okay. But when it when it gets to like red green. Okay. Like in the middle, it's hard for me to tell the difference. Huh. So, like there's these tests where it's like a bunch of color dots that are like red and green together. Yeah. And they're supposed to you're supposed to look at it and like see a seven or a number or a letter okay, or whatever. Yep. I and I can't it. see it. Huh. Because I can't tell the difference between like. But does that really affect you very much? No. <laughs> but, like, if you were to be a fighter pilot um, and they saw that you were colorblind, the thing is, like, on the tips of planes, they have red and green on separate tail on separate wings. So you can tell if a plane is coming, like, at you or away from you. Yeah. If, like, the red is on the right or left. So they're, like, you need to be able to tell the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. But so it's was, more of, like, a reaction thing. Yeah. Like... You need to be 100% that something is red and something is green. Otherwise, it's going to run into you. And that so. goes for any kind of flying, right? Like 2020 vision kind so. of thing? Well, my dad is a pilot, and he he wears glasses and contacts. So, like, you can oh, be 2020, okay. but with contacts. With fixed yeah. eyesight. Yeah. Interesting. For some reason, I thought that you had to be, like, 2020, and once you weren't 2020, all your hopes and dreams were dashed. <laughs> it's a thing, but, like, if you are with glasses, you're okay. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So going back to the endurance stuff, you started to get into that. You taught yourself how to swim. You mm-hmm. went from doggy paddle to Michael Phelps in the pool. Yeah. And then you started to get into races from there. Uh, yeah. So I had to figure out biking and my dad had like this old road bike. You just pedal, right? Yeah. But, like I never rode a road bike before. Uh-huh. And those are very different like from a regular bike. Um, like a lot of gears and stuff or. Yeah. Like you have to figure out how to work it and also just the balance. Mm. and how they ride they're very aggressive um like your weight's really over the 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 front of it like the position of it's very uncomfortable um handling it is very different so i like did went on a couple rides and i was like okay i think i got it down enough to like sign up for a race and yeah but (laughs) so that's where i went from there so you signed up and how'd the first race go um interesting for sure <laughs> like it was in flagstaff arizona which is again at altitude okay but it's like at seven thousand feet so it's a little a little more <laughs> than here um and it was tough like it was a sprint so it was like i forget the distances but it was like the shortest triathlon you can do basically um and i knew it was gonna be tough but i didn't think it was gonna be that hard <laughs> like um i also never swam in open water before just like the pool and they're very different. So like when you put, it was a lake. So when you put your head underwater, you can't see anything, right? It's just dark. Mm-hmm. Like it's just yep. mud. So like I did that a couple minutes before the race and I was like, Oh, that's terrifying. Like yeah. uh, I can't see a thing. And I made the classic mistake of like starting in the front of the pack for the swim, mm. which on your first one, you never want to do always start in the back because you'll have what happened to me is that like I start going and I immediately had a panic, panic attack, like instantly. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I just had to stop and just like take my goggles off and just breathe for a second. But then there's all the people behind you 
coming at you. Yep. So you just get swam over because like they can't see you. Yeah. Because their head yeah. is down. So you literally get swam over, and then like I had, I just like <laughs> get my composure again and then start going again. Um, but it was terrifying. And then I made it out. And another thing I didn't realize is when you're swimming, like you're you're laying down basically, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you get out of the swim, you immediately stand up and you instantly start using your legs. So what happens is all the blood goes down from your head because you stand up immediately. And it also goes to your legs because your body's like, hey, we're using our legs now. Yeah. So we need blood there. So you have no blood in your head whatsoever. So I was super disoriented. I couldn't see a thing. Like I was, I just saw white. That was it. And I remember like unzipping my wetsuit and then I like zipped it up again because I had no idea where I was at all. Um, and I just like made my way to my bike um, and then got on. The bike was fine. And every triathlon I did, the bike was always really hard, like a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, I also drafted people, which you're not supposed to do in triathlons, but I was like, oh, drafting makes you go faster, but it's actually like illegal. So luckily, what does that mean? Like getting really close behind someone so you like you, you're not taking all the wind basically mm. um but so <laughs> i had no idea what i was doing but like nobody called me out for it so i was like okay <laughs> like um and then i got off the bike and then probably the hardest part of any triathlon is bike to run mm. because the entire race you've not been supporting your body weight entirely so you've been like swimming or sitting down or something and then you get off the bike and you start to run and this is the first time you're supporting your entire body weight and you're running now. So your heart rate spikes because that um, in swimming, biking and running, running is where your heart rate gets the highest out of all of those. So your heart rate spikes to like it's max, basically. Um, you're supporting your body weight for the first time and your legs just feel like bricks. Like you can't move. Mm. You feel like you can't move, basically. And you're like, I have to run a 5K in the sprint. But like you've never ran a longer <laughs> 5K in your life. Um but I was like, oh, I do cross country. Like, I'll do this in 18 minutes or whatever. And it took me like 21. And I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> but um, yeah, I finished it and, it. and I was like the most tired I've ever been. But it felt amazing. Like, I was like, this is really great. Um, and I was the only one in my age group. So I won my age group. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to like go on the podium <clears throat> and stuff. So that the high from that, I was like, this is great. But because mm-hmm. it's like I always wanted to like push my body to the max it could do. And that was the sport that did it basically like in multiple times during the race, you you get to a point where you just can't move anymore and you don't think you can physically move. And you, you get to a point where it's like, okay, this is literally mind over matter. Like you have to tell your body to physically move. Um, and that was the part that I really liked about it. Hmm. Yeah. So when you talk about mind over matter, <clears throat> how much of that do you actually think is true? Like how powerful do you think your mind over the matter is? I, I think it is very true. Um, yeah, like becoming mentally tough is, I think, more beneficial than like physically tough, especially mm-hmm. with endurance stuff. Because you can like get to that point where you you can't go anymore, and then you just tell yourself like, no, you actually can, mm-hmm. and then you do, and you realize like, yeah, you you can go a lot further than you actually think you can. Um, like when I did my the half iron pan, like I got off the bike and I was like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> like I'm going to drop. I can't go anymore. And like I had to run a half marathon mm-hmm. and you, you just, you're like, okay, I took a 
like a year and a half to train for this. I spent a lot of money, so I'm not going to drop. I'm just going to walk. And then you realize like, oh, I'm walking now. Maybe try to run. And you start doing it. And it's like, okay, you're at the point where like literally cannot go anymore. But you actually can. So it's it it takes getting to that point to, to realize it. But I do think it is true. Like mind over matter stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So how many races did you do? I did three. I just did a sprint, an Olympic, and a half Ironman. Like my goal the entire time was to do an Ironman. Um, and that's what I was going to do after my senior year. That was like my graduation gift to myself. I was like I was going to do an Ironman. Yeah, a full one? Yeah, because you have to be 18 to do them. <clears throat> um, so I had to be 18. And then they're very expensive because mm-hmm. it's an event that supports thousands of people for 16 hours. Like there's a lot of resources involved. Um, so they are very expensive. And I was like, I told my parents, like, that's what I want to do for graduation. Um, but that's when I had my accident was training for that Ironman. So, so you were training for the event. Yeah. <clears throat> and yeah. what happened? Uh, so I was on a bike. Um, and if you ever see like a triathlon bike, you're pretty much hunched over. You can't it's like where your your hips and stuff are pretty high and you're kind of like over the handlebars kind of thing. Yeah. And you're, you're basically just tucked. You're in a tuck position. Um, so visibility is already not great. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I was out riding in Vegas. It was like the first day of the year that I was outside because the weather was nice enough. Um, and yeah, I was coming home. Um, and I don't remember why. But I think I was like looking at my gears or something, like checking I'm in the right gear because I was about to go up a hill or something, um, or I was looking at my computer, and a car, there were like burrows on the side of the road, like wild burrows basically. Um, so a car pulled over into the bike lane to go take pictures of these burrows, and they didn't see me and I didn't see them, so I ran headfirst in the back of their car, um, going about like 20 miles an hour. Um, so I hit it headfirst. And so it's like the top of my head basically hit the car and just the vibration and the impact from that, like went down my spine and broke my C6 and C7 vertebrae from that. That's how it happened. So when that happens, are you just out? Uh, some people are, I wasn't, um, I, I think, I think I was awake for it. I say I was awake for it because that's what I think. But then there's these stories of people said like, Oh, do you remember this and stuff? And I'm like, Nope, don't remember that at all. Um, But I was, like, conscious the entire time, like, from the site to the hospital. Um, But once I got to the hospital, that's when things definitely get hairy because that's when they start, like, you know, probably full of pain meds. And you're in the ICU, like, level one trauma center, which is, like, basically the last step you go before you die. So they don't want you to remember anything. Mm -hmm. So they just Mm -hmm. pump you full of drugs so that you don't remember anything because it's terrifying and it's a really bad experience. Um, So after that, I... I don't know. I don't really know. Uh, but then when I got got to rehab, you know, things were definitely different. But So at the moment you were being taken to that, like, um, like the hospital, what were you thinking? Um, I was definitely in shock. So my conscious thoughts weren't like a hundred percent, but um, I knew I couldn't feel my legs. Like it felt like they're floating, which is a very common thing people say when they have a spinal cord injury. It feels like your legs are floating. So I knew it wasn't great. <laughs> I was like, something's definitely wrong, but I didn't know what. Um, and my body was definitely protecting myself because it was like 
like you'll be fine you'll be fine that's basically what was going through my head mm-hmm. um and yeah i was screaming a lot um yeah but then they got me to the ambulance it was the first time i ever had any type of needle in me other than iv like immunizations yeah the first time i had like an iv or something they put it like in the ambulance and i just remember saying like oh fuck i hate ivs but like i never had one before in my life so it's like it's just like you're just out of it you know like it's it's pretty traumatic but um yeah so i i think i remember things but who's to say mm-hmm. so yeah and then so after all that like once the shock wears off once the pain medications wear off like and yeah. the doctor tells you what happened what's wrong like, yeah what would you remember what you thought in that moment yeah um so I knew I like on the inside you you know like you know you have a spinal cord injury just yeah. like you're not admitting it to yourself but like you know like it's it's not a shock when they tell you you know um so yeah like they did the MRIs and all that stuff and then the surgeon came in um and he was like yeah you had a spinal cord injury like we're going to go do surgery now um and I I just remember <laughs> The, the last thing I said before I went to surgery was like, well, I guess I have to do wheelchair races now. Like mm. that was, that was it for me. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I accepted it pretty fast. I, I didn't mm. really like resent it. I just accepted it. I was like, all right, this is just our reality now. Um, and yeah, I, I was never really like super depressed about it or like super down. I never, I didn't have that a lot of people would get a spinal cord injury really go through a phase of addiction to, to something or like just being down for a couple of years. And like I had some form of that, but it was never really that bad. Um, yeah. I, I was just like, okay, this is, this is what we're doing now. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So like <clears throat> growing up and throughout your life, like, is that just how you approach things? You just kind of roll with it? Yeah. I think, I think my dad being in the military taught me that because when your dad's in the military, like growing up, your 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 big decisions aren't really up to you; they're up to the government, like where you live, where you go to school, mm-hmm. um, all that stuff. And that's like all you're thinking about as a kid. Um, so every two years or year, you'd be like, "All right, new place, new thing," and you're just like, "Okay, I'm going to this place now." Like new people, new everything. I think just going through that so many times, you just get to a point where you're like, "All right, like." Someone told me to do this, so I'm doing it now, basically. Yeah. yeah. And did they tell you, like, without a doubt, you'll never be able to use your legs again? Okay. So, <laughs> any documentary you see of, like, someone with a spinal cord injury that learned to walk or whatever like that, they always say, like, the doctor came in, and he said, you will never walk again. And I said, I'll show you. And then I walked again. That never happens, ever. I can guarantee it. Like, because what they say to you is the truth. Like, they say, like, hey... We don't know. We have no clue what's yep. going to happen. That's what every doctor says. Yeah. They don't say, you're never going to walk again. <clears throat> like, you, like, no. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, maybe if they're like an asshole, but I've never seen it. I've never heard about that. It's, yeah. it's always like a, making the story dramatic. But they say like, hey, we don't know. But basically, you have a complete spinal cord injury. That means that you have no sensation, no motor function beyond your injury point. So what that means is you can't walk mm-hmm. straight up. That's just what it means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and people who have complete spinal cord injuries, like, I don't know, 99.5 of them never walk again. 
and that's what they tell you like hey statistically yeah no <laughs> you're not not gonna walk again and like i was totally fine with that i was like yeah of course like this is a spinal cord injury there's no cure for that like mm-hmm. so yeah i'm not getting better <laughs> like yeah. i'm just gonna have to learn how to, how to live with this now so yeah whenever someone says that a doctor says it to them i'm like that's stupid that's like not, that's, that's that's not how it goes it's never no <laughs> that's not what happens so yeah <laughs> and was like everything that came after like what was the hardest part like getting used to what yeah the the times i broke down emotionally in rehab were they they try to get you out in public as much as possible so like go do outings or whatever like you go see a movie you go to red rocks you go see a a rockies game or whatever just just be outside the hospital Mm -hmm. um and i remember like my first full day out um just alone with my parents um it's it's really hard to adapt because you understand like okay i'm in a wheelchair now that's a fact but you accept that but then when you go outside and you see how different it is Mm -hmm. and you 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 feel the people looking at you and like you think you can take it and then you see it happen and you're like oh no i am different than every single person i see now like anywhere you go like you're the only person in a wheelchair you know so that was really hard um i remember at dinner that night like (laughs) kids and old people are the worst with wheelchairs Mm. they just don't they don't know how to act like old people are very much like like oh my god that is so sad like that is terrible and then kids are like why does that person have wheels like they just can't handle it you know so this kid was just staring at me from across the table like at another table and it was the first time it happened and i just i just broke down i was like i can't this is this is really hard um yeah so it it was it was that accepting that fact of like yeah no like for real you are different now your life is the life you knew before is completely over um everything i did before i couldn't do again basically and like i'm 18 (laughs) you know like i'm gonna go to college and everything is gone now like everything is gone everything i knew is gone I'm completely different than everyone out there. And yeah, accepting that was the hardest part for sure. Because the physical stuff, I was like, PTs handle that. They tell you what to do. But it was that side that was hard to accept for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then when did you actually, like, it's one thing to have the doctors, have your parents, have your friends tell you, like, yeah, you're different now, but, like, it's okay. Like, you can still live a great life. Like, when did you get yourself to believe that yeah i always knew i could have a great life um they do they do a good great job at rehab like telling you they, they make you independent basically and that was my goal before leaving was like i just want to be independent just live on my own um so i knew that fact like logically i was like i know this um i think it took about a year and a half to two years to to actually start believing it to, to like feel okay like mm. not great not good just like okay that's it took about that long um and like even now i'm like it's good 
you know, they, they, yeah. people told me like, it takes about five years to really settle in, like really be a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and this will be my fifth year. I mm-hmm. think what year is it? 2023. This is my, I don't know, fourth or fifth year, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm like getting to that point, but it, it takes a really long time for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And when did you get this gal? Annie. Yeah. She, okay. So her story, um, we got her like, so I had my accident in January. We got her the summer before that. Okay. So she was, you know, six months old and she was actually training to be a therapy dog at my mom's school. Like she's a teacher. So her first job was a therapy dog. Um, but when I had my accident, my parents were like, Hey, you can, we can train Annie to be a service dog um, and you can take her to college. And I was like, well, I'm doing that. Like I'm, t- <laughs> I'm taking a dog to college. So yeah. um, I've known Annie since she was born. Like we've had that bond, but one-on-one was when she was about nine months old was when we like started to just be us together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 She's great. She's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's probably the easiest dog ever. Her, my favorite thing with her is when she comes in and she puts her paws on the desk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. You, you're sad that she's not doing that. But yeah. You got to start doing it again. Yeah. Whenever you're there. Yeah. <laughs> and then how'd you end up at CU? Yeah. Um, so I made my decision where to go to college in rehab. Um, I applied to a lot of schools, but it was down to here and Cal Poly in California. They're very similar academically, um, culturally, but I ultimately decided to came here because honestly, I liked it better mm. than any other school I've been to. It was my backup school, but I honestly liked it better than any schools I went to. So mm. even if I didn't have my accent, I'd probably go here, but a big draw to, to actually going here was the rehab hospital is 45 minutes away. Mm. So if I ever, ever had a problem, they can handle it because you learn that, that no doctor knows how to take care of a spinal cord injury. They, they don't, they have no yeah. idea what to do. Um, like they were kind of briefed on it in med school, but you really have to specialize in it to, to know how to treat it, how to treat problems with it. So if I go to any doctor, they're just like, we don't know, like <laughs> we don't know what to tell you. So th- it was very comfortable for me and my parents to like have that resource mm-hmm. here. So it was the fact that I would have gone here regardless, but that also helped a lot for sure. Um, and CU was also one of the places where when I went on the tour in a wheelchair, nobody stared at me. And it was the first time I actually experienced that. Um, like any other college campus I went to, like I still felt different. But here it's like, you know you're different, but no one really treats you like it. Like they mm. talk to you like a person. Mm. And that's incredibly refreshing. Like, yeah, it's not common. So when it happens to you, you're like, this is great. Like this feels like home. So there was like one moment when we were, and like, I was so crippled at this point. Like I was in a rental wheelchair that weighed like 40 pounds. I couldn't push myself around. Like my mom was pushing me around. I still had a trach. Like it was a bad, it was a tough look. It was a tough look for sure. Like, it's something to stare at. Like it was not good. Um, so, but I was like walking by the rec center and 
like a student was coming towards us and I was like, all right, here it goes. Like, they're going to look at me. And then they just walked by and I was like, wow. (laughs) Like they didn't even look and that's great. So that experience was the thing that like sold it for me. I was like, all right, this is where I'm going. And you study aerospace engineering? Yes. Is that like Elon Musk kind of stuff or what? It is like, it's what he does um, with SpaceX. Do you like him or no? So (laughs) I think every aerospace engineer has an opinion on him. He is incredibly innovative. He's actually doing something new, which is very refreshing. Um, Because with NASA is just, they're just pulling parts from other missions and making a new mission basically like Mm -hmm. that. And it works, works really well. Um, But it's not exciting. It's Mm -hmm. not new. Um, So he goes, he swings for the fences for sure. Um, He's definitely a character. He's definitely autistic, but that's great. (laughs) That's like a fantastic quality for him and his role. So, and in like all my leadership classes I've taken, we study him like heavily. So in like the leadership world, he's a model. And like from an engineering world, he is definitely a model. Um, But a lot of engineers don't want to work for him because of all of his like political stuff Mm. and things he's done on Twitter. They're like, you know, I just can't do it. I can't work for him. Um, Mm. I still would. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to. It's basically like getting into Harvard, but 10 times harder to work for him. So I'm not that smart, but yeah. Gotcha. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Are you tired of answering questions yet? No, I'm fine. So. Um, all right, when, when, how'd you get into CrossFit? Yeah, so my dad found it, I found it, like it's a religion. I guess. Yeah. It kind of <laughs> is. Some people kind of say yeah. that it is. <laughs> For some people. I think especially our roots. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Because y'all are, I mean, CrossFit headquarters is here, right? So uh, Yeah, not anymore. They I moved? Think, I think so. Oh, I didn't know that. Or but they were here. going right? to. Yeah, they were here. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that, but... Like you have to be very, very CrossFit. Like, yeah. Like when I go back to Vegas, their gym is kind of like more laid back. It's okay. like we're here to work out, and that's kind of it. But at Roots, it's like, like I remember one day Dave. <laughs> no offense to Dave, like he's great, fantastic coach. But like one day he brought in a like article for us to read from like the CrossFit main site, and so like. I can see you tell, like, that's very Dave of him, right? Like, yeah. to, like, learn the methodology of CrossFit and all this stuff. And it's, like, it's great. It's actually really great. You know, like, I've learned a lot. Um, but it is very CrossFit. So, like, it is kind of yeah, a cult yeah. for sure. But he found it in Afghanistan, like. In defense of Dave, though, that wasn't Dave's. That was That was Nicole. We did that okay, all day. Okay, well, it's Nicole then. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that also makes sense. But, <laughs> yeah, so. Like, if you're one of the only level four coaches in the nation, like, you, yeah. you know, kind of have to be like that. Yeah, yeah. So, but I like it. I like roots a lot. <laughs> but anyway, he found it in Afghanistan because, um, you know, CrossFit's very military focused. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had a, a gym in Afghanistan when he was deployed. And before he went to Afghanistan, he never worked out. Like, he was like, I fly fighter pilots. I fly, no, I don't fly fighter pilots, but he flies fighter jets and like, that's very physically taxing and he has to be like some type of physical ability to do that. Mm-hmm. So he was like, I'm good enough. You know, I'm fine. Um, but when he went to Afghanistan, he weighed almost like 200 pounds. Like he was, mm. he's like five eleven. It's not great. You know, like, mm-hmm. and it wasn't muscle. It was not muscle. Yeah. So he started doing that. Um, and then he told my mom about it whenever they would talk and she was like, okay, I'll try it. So 
they have been doing it ever since then, which is when I was in like sixth and seventh grade. Um, and growing up, I definitely made fun of it all the time, you mm-hmm. know, cause it's CrossFit yeah, yeah. and I was doing endurance stuff. Totally. So, um, but yeah, I got into it in rehab. Um, Kevin Ogar is like the guy who made adaptive CrossFit. Um, he was injured doing a powerlifting movement and like he dropped a barbell on his back and that's why he, that's how he became paralyzed. So he like made it after CrossFit. He's in Denver. Um, so I got connected with him and I went to his gym and I did a workout with him. I was like, this is, this is good. I was like, this is good, but I didn't really do it for a while because for the first like two, three years after my injury, it was all medical that it was just fighting so many like really scary medical things. I did not have the physical or mental capacity to work out at all. Um, but CrossFit was very accessible because I knew they could take care of me and I knew that I could just show up. They would tell me what to do. And if I just went every day, then, you know, eventually I would see results. Like mm-hmm. can't not work out every day and like follow a specialized program and not get better basically. So people say that CrossFit's hard, but I think it's very easy because I think the hardest thing with working out for people is like, what do I do? And just finding that routine. But CrossFit does it for you. Like Mm. there's classes every day on the hour for the most part. And there's a workout every day. So you just show up, you put it in your calendar. I'm going to work out for this hour and I'm just going to go. And then they do, they take care of the rest. So it was very easy for me. And so when I was coming off all that medical stuff, it was easy because I was like, I don't have to think. I don't have to do anything. It's very approachable. So that's when I started to come to Roots was mm-hmm. right after that. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, like athletically, school, professionally, whatever, like what does the future hold for you? I, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, and that's fine. I think that, I, I mean, after my accident, that's my philosophy is like, who knows, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. who knows what's actually going to happen to you. Um, everything can go away in, in an instant, like in the blink of an eye. Um, so I'm very comfortable with that and I'm, I'm fine with that. I have a lot of trust in that, but what I would like to do is, I mean, continue CrossFit, but like start doing endurance sports again. Like I would like to start doing marathons again. I don't think I ever do triathlon again. It's just too much, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, I would like to hand cycle in marathons and things like that. Um, but you need a lot of strength to do those sports. Cause when I try to do it, like your muscles give out way before your cardio. Cause you, you're replacing your legs with your arms basically. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard to do. So I need a lot more strength before I can actually like feel good in those sports. So mm-hmm. definitely continue CrossFit, but then start doing that again. Um, academically finish school. I'll do that. <laughs> that's the, I don't think that's a problem. Uh, but then after that, career-wise, like I really like engineering, um, but I also really like people. I like being in meetings. I like working with people to like figure out a problem. So I think like a more global approach to engineering, like not like specific design, but more like designing the process to get it done to like system engineering or like project management, things like that, um, I think would fit me well. So that's what I'm going to go for, whatever that looks like. We'll see, but that's like my idea. Yeah, yeah. Right now. <clears throat> that's sweet. Yeah, cool. What, what about you? What about me? <laughs> yeah, like what? What are you gonna do? What am I gonna do in the next five, ten years? I don't know. Whatever. The same stuff. <laughs> I like coaching CrossFit. Yeah. Um, 
like telling stories, like doing what we're doing right now. Yeah. Um, like writing, way of storytelling. Mm-hmm. You got any yeah. big goals with that? Try to find a way to make all that stuff I just said life forever. I mean, you're pretty close. I mean, you're a CrossFit coach for a living. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> like, but yeah. Yeah, storytelling is the big one. That's the one I'm very interested in. Mm. I just think it's really cool. Oh, cool. Tell stories and yeah. write stories and connect with people. I just like people. That's why I'm at the gym to coach. Yeah. I like to see people and talk to people and yeah. help people out That's with what we do. You. So, yeah. Yeah. Just keep on keeping on with that. Nice. So, well, I hope you hope it works out. Yeah. You too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. Mark. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah. Thank you.